Hello, and welcome back to the Come Follow Me Bible Challenge. Once again, my name is Jeremy Howard, and I am the vocational pastor. That means I do this full-time. I am a uh, pastor full-time at Orchard Hills Bible Church in Payson, Utah. And today we are continuing our study through the New Testament, following with the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints schedule, not their curriculum, but their schedule. Uh, just offering some thoughts from a Bible church pastor who lives in Utah. And today we are brought to Luke 7, and I'm going to talk about one of my favorite passages where you have Jesus dining at a Pharisee's house, and a woman comes in and kind of disrupts the party without saying a word. So let's just read the passage and then go back through and, and consider some thoughts that I have. Luke chapter 7 starting in verse 36. It says, Now one of the Pharisees was requesting him, Jesus, to dine with him, and he entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And there was a woman in the city who was a sinner. And when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and kept wiping them with the hair of her head and kissing his feet and anointing them with the perfume. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is who is touching him, that she is a sinner. Verse 40, And Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he replied, Say it, teacher. Jesus says, A moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, You have judged correctly. Turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house, and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. For this reason I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. Then he said to her, Your sins have been forgiven. Those who were reclining at the table with him began to say to themselves, Who is this man who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Pretty amazing passage, isn't it? There's a lot to consider, a lot to see. Uh, there are, of course, uh, of course, some cultural elements going on here that make it different to our ear. It just doesn't sound right. Uh, for instance, they were reclining at the table. Okay, so you got a, a meal set up, Jesus going to Simon the Pharisee's house, and he's reclining at the table. Well, this means like quite literally to be reclining. Uh, whenever there would be a special meal like this, they would lie down and be facing the table with their feet away from the table, and they're just in like a position of, of lying down. 
that's quite a bit different uh, than the way most of us eat. I, I don't want to rule out that some of you uh, <laughs> don't eat that way. Maybe some of you do, but that's a little different, right? And then you've got the stuff going on with the feet, of course, in that culture. Uh, feet were extra gross. I still think feet are pretty gross today, but at that time, everybody wearing sandals and feet getting exposed to all the elements and everything, uh, feet were just out in the open and taking on a lot of the elements of the atmosphere more than our feet are today. And so uh, this washing of feet was a pretty interesting, uh, important part of life back then. And uh, even the meal itself, you've got multiple people there. This woman just kind of shows up at the meal, which is interesting. We, in our society, would expect, you know, that there would be invitations, RSVP, uh, that that sort of thing. And uh, this woman who is a sinner doesn't have a relationship with Simon the host, and for her to just show up seems really weird, like she's crashing a party uh, the way we think of it today. Because, I mean, in one sense, she very much is crashing a party, but... Uh, not really the way that we would think about that happening today. So th there's just a lot of stuff happening that's a little bit different. You get, you got an alabaster vial of perfume and whatnot. Um, but don't let all of these things distract you from the heart of the narrative and the heart of the story and Jesus's point in all of this and uh, Luke's reason for including this story. If you know much about Luke's gospel, you know that he was recording this account uh, for a man named Theophilus. You can see this at the beginning of the Gospel of Luke. You can also see it at the beginning of the book of Acts, because Luke wrote Acts. Luke was not a disciple of Jesus. He wasn't one of the twelve. And so he's investigating Jesus's life, and he's including stories as he is led by the Holy Spirit. He's including certain stories, and this is one of the stories he's including, which is just quite interesting. Uh, Luke's Gospel contains several stories that feature women prominently in the narrative, which is a, an element of his writing style. But here we have this story with a whole bunch of things going on, and I just want to point out a couple of the key issues, uh, a couple of the key elements that will help you to grasp what's going on here. So uh, very clearly, you've got two people besides Jesus who are prominent figures in the narrative, Simon the Pharisee, and this woman who's a sinner. And there are different ways to break down their their differences. There are two ways, uh, sorry, not two ways, more than two ways, to talk about the contrast between Simon and the woman. Uh, first, you do have just the reality that Simon is a man and she's a woman, and how that played into the culture of that time where uh, women were treated differently and viewed differently than today. And uh, a man, especially a, a religious man, a Pharisee, he would be starting off in his relationships with just given, assumed respect, whereas a woman wouldn't, especially if she had a reputation as a non-religious, sinful woman. And, and that's another element of the contrast. Besides man and woman, you've got religious man versus sinner. She's classified as a sinner in this story. You've got pride and humility going on, where Simon, the non-sinner, quote-unquote, in the story, he's very prideful, whereas the sinful woman is very humble. You have Simon, who's speaking throughout the story. He's quoted here, 
And the woman doesn't say a word, according to Luke's account. Uh, I mean, she uh, has a lot of action here, and it's recorded in a very detailed way. So we are really just like in the room as we read this, beholding every single thing that she's doing. But we don't have any quotes from the woman. She's not talking. You've just got Jesus and Simon talking and describing her. And so because of that, we don't know her name. We don't know specifically what has made her a sinner. I mean, people have guessed, but they are just guesses. Some people have said, well, this is Mary Magdalene. That doesn't seem likely. Uh, Some people have said she's a prostitute. That could be. Some have said she's an adulteress. That could be. There are just different ways that a person could be labeled as sinner, and we just don't have those those details here. But let's um, let's look at her actions again, specifically as her actions are contrasted with Simon's actions. As we bring up the text again here, you have this part here at the top, verses thirty six to thirty nine, um, really thirty six to thirty eight where she is described, uh, I guess 37 and 38, I keep narrowing it down, (laughs) verses 37 and 38, she's a sinner, and she comes in with this expensive perfume, the alabaster vial of perfume wasn't just your typical run-of-the-mill olive oil or uh, common-use oil, this was expensive stuff, and if she really was a prostitute or someone who society had rejected because she is a sinner, that means that she's probably giving one of, if not the most, expensive, valuable items that she owns uh, for this purpose. And she comes up to Jesus, standing behind him at his feet, and she's crying. There's this, this little little mention here of just weeping at this point. Okay, We also have it in uh, Jesus' description down here where he talks about her tears. Okay? But she's not just there doing this, uh, she's crying while she's doing this, which is important to note. And uh, she's wiping her tears with the hair of her head and kissing his feet and anointing his feet with the perfume. Well, if we jump down to um, verse 44, Jesus points out the woman to Simon, where it's like pretty obvious, right? He says uh, in verse 44, do you see this woman? And it's like, well, of course I see this woman, you know. But Jesus isn't saying, do your eyes work, okay? He's wanting him to behold what the woman is doing. And that's evident by what follows. He gives three basic contrasts in action. You gave me no water for my feet. Now, was that customary at that time where a host would give the guest water for his feet? I don't know. I don't know if anybody can say definitively that in this exact scenario that was customary, but I do think that's likely. I mean, Jesus is pointing it out. It's it's definitely possible. It's even likely. Well, Simon gave Jesus no water for his feet, but in contrast, she, the woman, has wet his feet with her tears wipe them with her hair. Next thing, you gave me no kiss. Now, of course, it was a custom in that culture to kiss as a greeting, like a handshake. You give me no handshake, you give me no kiss, is what Jesus is saying. But she, by contrast, has not ceased to kiss my feet. So we know at least for sure here in one area, Simon's not even doing the the basic 
fundamental, customary thing for his guest, Jesus, by giving him the kiss of greeting, which would be just be man-to-man standing up like a handshake today. But the woman, on the other hand, she's been in a position of humility down on the floor, anointing his feet and kissing his feet. And then thirdly, Jesus says, you did not anoint my head with oil. Now again, is this customary? I don't know in what sense this could be customary, but Jesus is pointing it out nonetheless and saying, this is something you didn't do. But by contrast, she has anointed my feet with perfume. So you gave me no water, but she, with her tears, has been washing my feet. You gave me no kiss, she's down on the floor kissing my feet. You didn't anoint my head, but she's anointing my feet with this expensive perfume. So um, that is a pretty amazing contrast, isn't it? That this woman, who is a sinner, is being characterized by Jesus as the one in the right. That she is she's doing what he should be doing as the, the host, but... And, and she's actually going beyond what would be customary for a host to do. And she's just this woman who's non-religious, sinful, this bad, bad woman. People know about her in, in town. Like, yeah, you know, don't let, don't let your kids go around her. She's a bad influence. You know, she's a sinner. Well, uh, according to Jesus, she's got something right. And and how did she get to that point? How how could a woman like this have something going on here in this scenario that is appropriate and correct, like gaining approval from Jesus by her actions? How is that the case? Well, um, let's go back and look at verses 40 to 43, where Jesus gives a short little parable uh, or illustration to make a point. When he says, Simon, I have something to say to you. Can you imagine Jesus saying that to you? You know, put your put your name there. I have something to say to you. Calls you by name. Man, wow, what a moment. Simon replied and said, Say it, teacher. <clears throat> and Jesus tells him about this money lender. Money lender who had two people that owed him money. And again, here's another cultural element, the denarii. You can look that up, study how much that is in today's money. But that's not the point, okay? It's important to look that up and to have that information. But the point is, you've got one owing 500, the other owing 50. So you could say um, $5,000 versus $500. We'll just say that. One owed 5,000, or would it be 50,000? Not doing a good job with quick math in my head, keeping the ratio the same. We'll just say 5,000. One owed 5,000 bucks, the other owed 500 bucks. When they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave them both. So what a guy, this money lender, who realizes that they're both in desperate situations. He just says, yeah, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Take it as a gift. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Well, which one of them, Jesus asks, upon this, will love him more? That's the crux of all of this. Which one of the debtors will love the money lender more? And Simon answers with, I suppose, <laughs> interesting way to start that, Simon, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. 
Well, that's the obvious answer, you know. He says, I suppose, and you just kind of wonder why he said it that way, because it's clear Jesus was making a point. And Jesus tells him, you have judged correctly. That is right. And now he applies this to the situation with the woman, and in verse 47, he says, For this reason I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven. She loves, she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. So there are two things being pointed out here, two important concepts to grasp. One is that forgiveness and acts of love are linked. Jesus is not here teaching through her acts of love, she has obtained forgiveness. That's not what he's teaching. He's saying um, her sins have been forgiven, and it's evidenced by her love. Uh, One commentator for the book of Luke said it's kind of like looking at a wet window and saying the window's wet, it rained outside. Not saying that the wetness of the window caused the rain, okay, but looking at it kind of backwards, looking at the result and saying uh, what the cause was. So Jesus here is saying in verse 47 that the, the forgiveness, the judicial pardoning that God gives of people's sins, it's linked to acts of love. Her sins, which are many, have been forgiven, for she loved much. He could see it in her actions. But he who is forgiven little loves little. So you have um, that, that basic idea, that forgiveness and acts of love tied together. And then you also have this much and little business. So now going into that concept of acts of love and forgiveness being linked together, you've got much and little. And he says that the one who is forgiven much loves much. And the one forgiven little loves little. So is Jesus saying that you have this scene here, and it's not just uh, Simon and the woman. You've got these other guys that he talks about in the next verse, that Luke talks about in the next verse. You've got this whole scene, and the woman is only able to show this extreme love and to display these grand acts of, of true worship from a loving heart toward Jesus because she went out in her life and she ran up the tab with all of her sins and went out and just committed gross, gross sins that Simon the Pharisee didn't. You know, he was probably raised in a religious home, and so he didn't do all that. And so she is enabled now to love much because she went out and sinned much, and then because she came to faith, she was forgiven much. So is that what you have to do to be able to love much? you got to go out and be really, really bad, as bad as you can, and then you can be forgiven much, and then through all of that, you can now love much like this woman. Is that what Jesus is saying is happening, and that's the formula he's given us for getting to a place where we can love much? I don't think so. I don't think so at all. I believe what Jesus is drawing attention to is our perspective on forgiveness. Think of this self-righteous, prideful, religious man. He is hosting Jesus, the God of the universe, and he doesn't even give him the standard kiss, kiss of greeting. 
<laughs> okay? Do you think this man is in touch with his sin, sin nature at all? Sure doesn't seem like it. He is thinking that he's doing quite well in life. And, of course, he needs God's mercy, but just a little bit. You know, he doesn't need, as a dependency, the mercies of God. He can be 75 to 90% dependent on himself. God's mercy just fills in the rest because he'll never be perfect. I mean, no one's perfect. But he's darn close. And, you know, God will come along in the end and fill in the rest. That's Simon's mindset, it appears. Most of the Pharisees, that was their mindset, right? Uh, Paul talks about that from experience. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. And he was pretty excited about his own righteousness. Well, that person thinks that he only has to be forgiven little. And it will show up in his actions. He will love little because, after all, he only has to be forgiven little. On the other hand, someone who is more in touch with his, or in this case her, depth of sin, when she is forgiven, she will then evidence this amazing grace and mercy that she's come to know through a life of deep love. She got how sin that she, how sinful she was she she understood it she grasped the depth of her sin much better than simon and the other pharisees did they call her a sinner and she probably would have said yep most definitely because she had come apparently to the point of understanding that she was in dire straits spiritually that she had rebelled against a holy god and that jesus was here to fix that Okay, we again, we don't know that the depth of what she knew about uh, Jesus, as we don't know her name, we don't know her rap sheet. Okay, there's a lot of stuff we don't know. But based on her being here, wanting to be where Jesus is, wanting to anoint his feet and to show her love for him, based on all of that, she was at least grasping that she had a big time spiritual problem and Jesus was the answer. And because she was in touch with the depth of her sin, she is loving him much. Simon, even though he was raised, likely, in a religious, pharisaical Jewish home, and he wasn't the one going out and committing adultery, he wasn't himself some sort of male prostitute, he wasn't a homosexual uh, doing all kinds of things out in public. I mean, he wasn't a Roman pagan. He was a Jew, But he could still love much if he knew the depth of the sin that still existed in his heart. Remember, Jesus said that adultery isn't just the outward act, but the root of adultery, where it all starts, is lusting. And to lust is to commit adultery in your heart. To, you know, maybe Simon never murdered, but did he have hate in his heart? Yeah, I'd say pretty much all of us have experienced hatred of another image-bearer of God. And Jesus said, you've murdered your brother in your heart. And so if you understand that you have a problem, no matter how outwardly good you look, when you encounter the forgiveness of Jesus, you will love much. And the problem with religious people, and maybe you're one of them who's listening, is that 
they think that the external counts for something. That if, if the external appearance can be made to look clean, then they're doing well. Well, Jesus tells the Pharisees in Matthew 23 that it's a very hypocritical thing to wash the outside of the cup because the inside's still gross, and God judges the heart. God looks at the inside. And so for the person who says, well, I've never murdered, see, the outside's great. Well, God says, what about all that hate tangled up in your heart? Well, I've never committed adultery. Yeah, but what about all that lust that's just bound up in your soul? You see, that is going to be judged by God. God's going to cause you to reckon with that. There will be a a great judgment, and God is going to judge rightly. And those sins of the heart are still sins that need to be forgiven. And it's nasty in your heart. Your heart is in a natural state. In its natural state, as you're born as a child of Adam, your heart is filthy, corrupt, polluted to the core. You need to be forgiven. And if you have this understanding that, well, I, I'm doing all that I can, and God just needs to come in and kick in, chip in the last 10 cents and round us up to a full dollar or whatever, however you want to think about it. If you have that sort of mindset, you're actually not operating with real faith in the biblical gospel, and you're never going to love God truly like this woman. This woman understood that there was nothing she could do to remedy her condition. But she knew Jesus was the answer, and she showed her appreciation of Jesus with her actions. And so, to wrap this up, let's look at these last couple of verses again. He tells her in verse 48, your sins have been forgiven, and those other men who are at the table, they began to say to themselves, who is this man who even forgives sins? Because forgiving other people's sins is an act of divinity. Only God can do that. But he tells the, tells the woman there, the last verse, verse 50, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. It was by faith she was saved. It wasn't due to her works, but her faith was evidenced by her works. And so she was saved and was able to go in peace. The men around the table, Simon himself, they couldn't go in peace because they weren't forgiven. Are you forgiven? Do you have the peace of God? You can have the peace of God if you recognize the depth of your sin first. And then, at that point, you're ready to hear the good news. The good news that God is the one who has taken care of your sin, that you could be saved. If you recognize that Jesus truly is the one true God of the universe, there's he's not a creation of God in any sense, he's not a second God, but he is God. And he lived a spotless life going to the cross as the pure lamb of God, the spotless lamb, to die in your place for your sins, the punishment you deserved from the law of God, the curse that you were under, he took on for himself and died for you. He was in your place as a substitute bearing the wrath of God. And he rose again with a true resurrection, not as a ghost, but with that body. He rose again in a glorified state and ascended into heaven. That if you trust in what he has done in your place for your sins, you will be saved by faith alone. Not saying 
uh, well, I have to do all these other things, and then I'll I'll believe, and and grace will kick in then. No, no, no. It all begins with grace, and and it ends with grace. And you recognize that there is absolutely nothing that you bring to the table, but all of your merit is found in Christ and what He has done. If you believe that, and if you get to the point of trusting in the finished work of Jesus, that means that you have embraced the good news, and you are saved, and God has declared you innocent once for all, guilt-free, because Jesus took care of it. And now you are actually free to live for Him. That's an amazing twist. Before, in the religious mindset, you thought, well, I have to live for Him, so that way He'll accept me. Friend, you can't live for God unless you are first accepted by Him. And once you are, you are under grace, not under law, but under grace. And He will draw you to Himself continually, conforming you to the image of Christ. And at that point, you will have true holiness arrive in your life in ways that you didn't understand before, ways that you couldn't understand before. So that's a a bunch of stuff that, that really just comes back to the gospel as I was explaining it there. A bunch of stuff going on in this passage that just comes back to the good news of Jesus, that we must approach Him as Lord and Savior, recognizing what He has done, finding our value in Him, trusting completely in what He has done, and then we'll be led into a life of peace as we worship Him, not only in this life, but in the next. Okay? Thanks for listening. Thanks for joining me today. Hope this has been helpful, and I'll be back next week as we continue this study. God bless.